Good morning, everyone. My name's G. Good, sorry, good afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for correction. It's third service. I don't even know where I am. My name's G. I serve as one of the elders here at the City Life Church. Uh, recently, I was commissioned as executive pastor uh, here at the City Life Church. So uh, I bear double duty now. Um, but uh, the great to be with you this morning, this afternoon. Sorry. It's going to happen over and over, man. Just, just got to go with it, okay? People know what I meant. Thanks. Um, I had a great week. Uh, starting from last week, we actually had our corporate fast. Uh, not only our church, but we have churches all around the world. Uh, we are the movement. Uh, we're in a movement called Every Nation, which is uh, church planning uh, ministry. Actually, we have 80 churches around the world. And the, uh, we, every year, we actually do a corporate fasting. We, from all over the world, believers unite to pray and fast together. And actually, how many of you were actually part of a prayer and fasting? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Come on. Look at all these people. Come on, man. So great. Yeah. We have some amazing things happen uh, throughout the prayer and fasting. I encourage you, if you never fasted before and pray, you know, prayer and fast before, we encourage you to do so. Um, it's something about prayer and fasting uh, not, that, not to say that just going hungry, uh, you get closer to God. No, that's not how it works. But we're giving up something in order that we may gain something else. I don't know if, he, if that makes sense to you, uh, but uh, we encourage you to do so. But the current series is called Amazing Grace. And the, the prayer and fasting, the theme of the prayer and fasting was also the Amazing Grace. And through this series, there were a lot of different lessons that we got each day, actually. And there were six different lessons that we got from the Amazing Grace devotional. Uh, these are abundant grace, justifying grace, inviting grace, sanctifying grace, enriching grace, sufficient grace, and overcoming grace. And so it is my pleasure to stand before you today to share with you something very dear to my heart. And I know this is something that I say over and over just about every time I stand up here, I always say, this is the most important thing in the Bible. I say that a lot. But today, today, I mean, if there's any other day, today is the subject that I'm going to discuss is the most important topic of the Bible. It's the issue of grace, but I'm going to go a little bit further of describing this grace, not only looking at the result or the outcome of this grace, because this, that's what these are. We study it, we understand it, what these mean, what we need it. But a lot of time we only focus on the result or, or something that can actually help us in a sense. But what we forget, though, is the source of this amazing grace. And so, that's what we're going to actually talk about this morning. So, if you have your Bible this morning, please go to Exodus 34. Now, I'm going to jump back and forth from Exodus and Gospel of John. Now, if I have time, which I don't think I will, we will also talk about Psalm 85. But the history tells me from the previous two service that I will not get there. But just know that Psalm 85 is in my thought. 
okay? And you can actually go read it for yourself later. But let us read the Word of God together, shall we? Exodus 34, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I'll write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks or herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai. As the Lord commanded him, and he took his hand, the two tablets of stones. Verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, Go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, Pastor Chris mentioned a few things about grace, especially the definition of grace. So we'll recap few of some of these words before we go on to the text itself. We have a lot of scripture to cover today, so if you follow along, I hope you can follow along. <laughs> grace uh, or charis in Greek means that which is given freely and generously. In Hebrew, the word for grace is chesed. Repeat after me. Chesed. Not everybody repeat it, but sure, that's fine. 
Hesed. Hesed, you don't actually have to put guttural in there. I know last week Pastor Chris said you have to actually cop up some stuff to actually say this word. <laughs> hesed. Even though that's a proper way to say it, you can say hesed like without guttural. And, you know, if you talk to Israelis or Jewish people today, they'll say, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> you don't have to spit at me. You know? And, uh, yeah, we know you're Gentile, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so you can say hesed, and it's fine, okay? Loving kindness, covenant love, or the word grace. Hesed isn't just cheap forgiveness of sin or a disregard for God's laws. It is the gracious forgiveness that comes from above, comes from love, excuse me, that is so enduring that it persists beyond any sin, always seeking to forgive. This will be very important to understand later when we talk about truth. Here are, here are some other meaning of these words. Hesed means redemption from enemies and troubles, preservation of life from death, quickening of spiritual life, redemption from sin, and most importantly, covenant. That is God's covenant and his promise to keep that covenant. So that's hesed. Today, earlier I mentioned about the benefits of grace or the result of grace. And there are a lot. We can actually talk about each one and see that these are really good things for you and I. Even though it is great, sometimes I feel in Christian world, that we focus too much on the result or the benefit of this grace, but we forget the source of grace. And so today, my goal is to not, I'm not saying that these are bad, right? These are all important things. But I would like to focus specifically on the source, God himself that I'm here to make a proposition to you this morning that God's divine attributes or his character or who he is has it or grace. New word I will teach you this morning, another Hebrew word. You're going to hear a lot of Hebrew coming to this church because we have so many people that actually been to Israel. And so we learn all these words. So you're going to learn it too. The word is emet. Emet. Repeat after me. Emet. emet. Hesed ve emet. Which means grace and truth. Grace, hesed, ve, which in Hebrew means and, emet, truth. So now you know how to say grace and truth in Hebrew. Repeat after me. Hesed ve'emet. Now you know. The reason why I would like to focus on this word is because it appears, in, in, in my understanding of the text, is that these combination of words appears very seldomly in the scripture. There's many times the word grace is mentioned, and there are many times that the truth is mentioned. 
But the combination of these two is very, very unique. And because of that, a lot of times when we read this verse, especially in John 1, 14, I'm sure you read it before, grace and truth. So you say, oh, okay, grace and truth, and you just move on. We don't really think about I don't think so, at least I didn't. When I first looked at the grace and truth, I thought that, okay, grace means this and the truth means this. Bam, good to go. But the combination of these words have started some research in my mind, there has to be something more than just individual words or the difference of it. So what is it? Grace and truth appears about three times, as I mentioned earlier. It is mentioned in Exodus 34, Psalm, multiple places, Psalm 25, I believe there's one time it mentioned, and also Psalm 85. And John 14, we know that the gospel or the New Testament was not written in Greeks, but what my proposition to you has always been is that John, the author John, was a Jew. He's a Jewish descent. He knew Hebrew. He might speak in Greek, but he's thinking in Hebrew. Does that make sense? See, English is my second language for me. Korean was my first language. So sometimes I would think in Korean, but I'm speaking English. Does that make sense? If you are dual language here, you probably make sense, a little bit make more sense to you. But John is saying certain of words for specific intent. In John, the Gospel of John, we know that the John's intent was to connect between his writing and the word that was already existing, which is the Old Testament. You see, every Jewish person knew Torah, which is the five books of Moses by heart. By the Bar Mitzvah, which is a turn 13, girls 12, which is very interesting. If you think about it, girls celebrate before boys, which proves that girls are smarter than boys. Or they mature faster. One of those two. I have two girls, so I can, you know, I can just say that all the time now. So. But that being said, though, John knew the Old Testament. He knew the Scripture. Now, when John actually wrote the Gospel, it was later in age. Some believe that he wrote between 85 to 100 A.D. Jesus died in 33 A.D. So you think the gap... He's a mature man. He's like a grandpa, in a sense. He's seen some things. All of his friends that he did ministry with, the disciples, they're all gone. They're all martyred, by the way, at this time. John is the only one left. And he's writing this specific book. Not to say that, it, oh, no, everything was different. No, he's adding on to the things that was important to him. And that is who Jesus is. And the Gospel of John reveals the divinity of God or Christ. And so let's go to the scripture and let's study it. Let's see what John says. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Let's stop there. We know that the Word, what John is talking about, is God. 
in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and word was God. He was in the beginning with God, John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The word is God, and God is Christ. They're all same. And he said, this word, God, Jesus became flesh. And I believe that we can just stop here and just talk about how amazing it is. The God of heaven who will leave his throne with the Father will come down to earth to be with you and me. Now, that's the good news. And you should be very, very excited about that. And here is why. There is no religion on this earth that says that God will come down and visit you. Not one. You give me one religion that says God will come to meet you. That is not you have to work your way to God and somehow if I can just reach God, oh, he's so far away in the sky somewhere. Only religion. I was a Buddhist growing up. So my understanding is if I meditate long enough, if I make this chant long enough, then somehow I'll reach this nirvana, but I will never see God though. I'll reach this state of emptiness and void that will make all the sense in the world. What a bogus. I mean, that is the most garbage thing in the world. I mean, for you to meditate that long to reach this state, but you don't know. How do you know if you still reach that state or not? Because you are still stuck in this world. You never face God, but you think you reached it. Seems to me it's a psychological more than anything. You're trying to reach the state of being that you can never reach. That's Buddhism, in a sense. In a nutshell, of course. But God becomes flesh. Just like you and me. To be with us. What an amazing God. What an amazing God that we serve. Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word dwelt is a very, very interesting word. The dwelt, the best, under, best to describe this word will be looking into what actually happened in the Exodus. The word the dwelt should be in the Old Testament, he came and pitched his tent or tabernacle among us. And that's what this word is pointing to. In the Old Testament, we see this in Moses, in the account of tabernacle, where the presence of God, the cloud will come down and fill the tabernacle, and Moses will speak with God face to face. Only Moses, no one else, okay? But John, in turn, says the same thing happened, but here's what's the difference. Next word, he says, we beheld his glory. We, very important. It's not just pointing to we as him and disciples, no. It's also foretelling of what is to come, where you and I get to behold him. 
the glory of God. They can they only been seen by just few in Old Testament. It came to you and came to John and his friends. This word beheld, or in Hebrew word hine, which is the base understanding word would be see or look. You see, when you are seeing or looking, it's not an idea. It's not some philosophical thought. Hmm, God up there. When you behold something, it's a reality. You see, you encounter, you experience, and that is what John is trying to communicate to you and me. This reality of the Son of God has to come for you and I. What a good news that is. Gospel in a nutshell. And we beheld His glory, the glory as only begotten of the Father. Now, word begotten should be translated as one and only Son. Okay? Full of grace and truth. So now this word appears in John. Was it coincidence that John will say he is full of grace and truth? Or is he trying to point at something that has been spoken in the past? I believe the latter. So let me give you a little bit of background of Exodus 34. Exodus 34 actually occurs after. It's a post-golden calf. How many of you know golden calf, right? They rebel against God. Israelites, you know, they come out of Egypt and, you know, he, they, they, they came to Mount Sinai as God commanded and Moses go up to the mountain, receive the ten, word, ten commandments or ten words. And then when he was up there, God tells them to go down because they say, Israelite, they're rebelling against me. By creating this idol. So, he goes down and he sees the golden calf. He throws the tablet and it breaks and that's the history. But it is really interesting for you to remember of a foretelling of this figure that's about to come. Here is this figure. When God saw the Israelites rebelling against him, he tells Moses this. I'm just going to wipe out the whole Israelites. I'm going to start all over with you. He's going to wipe out the whole camp. But what was the word of Moses? He pleads with God and says, please, Lord, if you kill them, just kill me too. And he intercedes on behalf of of the Israelites. In the future, Jesus will fulfill this figure, what Moses would be done, what you have done, which was he will intercede no longer, but he will intercede for you and me. So that is what's behind of the beginning of Exodus 34. So now Moses is called up back again after the whole thing went down. And the Israelites, you know, there was a lot of people that were separated or died, the judgment. 
And then Lord speaks to Moses and says, okay, you got to come back up because I got to give you the, the two tablets that you broke. Okay? So now he's going back up to the Mount Sinai to receive the two tablets again. Now, I'm going to be reading from verse 5 of Exodus 34. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. Let's stop there. The word Lord with all capital is a word Yahweh. Okay? And there are a lot of translations that's been made to the Lord or uh, Jehovah or whatnot. But Jehovah is actually the same meaning of Yahweh. The Yahweh was the main original name, but that was transcribed later to different names. But it's the all same Yahweh. Okay? And it's the Yahweh or the Lord in this sense is speaking directly to Moses. But what is he speaking is of a great importance. And here is why. God is about to describe who he is to Moses. Now, we know that a lot of people have this misconception of the Old Testament as this God of judgment. God is mad, man. He just raises his at you. Just mess up one time, I'm coming after you kind of God. And so we say, that, oh, Old Testament is too judgmental. I don't want to touch it. But I would argue that that is not like that at all. And now in this instance, God described himself. Not somebody describing him. He is describing himself of who he is. He's revealing his divine attributes to Moses. And this is what he says. Merciful. That's the first word, how he described himself, and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. Now here, goodness and truth is actually hesed ve-emet. Now see why this word is very important, because this appearance is showing that who he is, he's revealing who he is to Moses. It's divine attributes. It's not a just a definition. This is who he is. He's trying to communicate to Moses. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children of children to the third and the fourth generation. Does this God... Sound like judgmental to you? Answer is no. You can actually speak back to me. It's fine. No, it doesn't. You don't see any judgments here. Talk about forgiveness, long suffering, grace, mercy for thousands, generations. That's how he described himself. And now, going back to John 1, 14. Full of grace and truth. What John is saying is this. 
not only Jesus is God, or if you question that he was God, let me tell you the fulfillment of the grace and truth. He fulfilled it. The divine attributes of the Messiah, what he is saying, John is saying, the divine attribute of the Messiah will carry grace and truth. And it's very interesting. Because if you think about the word grace and truth, it is a complete positive. Grace is quite different than truth. Truth that says black and white. There is no gray. You mess up, boom, you're done. Grace comes around. I forgive you. You messed up, but I forgive you. How can you have this divine, two different character in one person? I don't know about you. A lot of times, I catch myself being way too truthful. But sometimes, I find myself way too graceful. Is that you? How about you? Sometimes, we do need to be truthful. See, Jesus is not going to say, oh, I love you, I care about you, I don't really care how you live. That's not message of the gospel, sorry. The saving knowledge of God, the grace and truth, leads you to live a life that is worthy in his sight. But you need both. You can't just live a Christian life with the one thing. You know, you probably heard this before. If you don't believe, you won't do hell. All truth. There's no grace. My gosh. This person. God bless you. God wants to bless you. He wants to give you everything. Cosmic Santa Claus he is. He just wants to give you everything because God is graceful. Both wrong. Both absolutely wrong. Because God stands in the middle holding the truth for the both. And he is full of grace and truth. Thank God he is full of grace and truth. And John bore witness of him, verse 15, crying out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. He was the preparation leading that moment that he will see the Messiah, Jesus. And in all of his fullness, verse 16, we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. Here we go. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what this means for you and I today. For the law was given through Moses. How God gives how to live through one man. And through that one man, everybody had to live accordingly. But they never met God. They never seen God. They have no interaction with God. It was only Moses. But now, here we go. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus comes to our scene, only Moses was able to see God. But for you, and for me, 
we can see God. We can behold Him in our sight because what Jesus has done on the cross. No one has seen God at any time, absolutely. Matter of fact, God tells Moses, if you see me, you will die. But John says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. If you believe in Jesus, in essence, what John is communicating to us is that Moses was the mediator to see God no longer because now we have a Savior, the Messiah, that through him we see God. Does that make sense? No longer we are limited or short of seeing God, but for you and me, we can see God. In John 1, 12 to 13, there is this aspect of a covenant or relationship that God longs for you and I. And John actually said it this way, but as many as received them, to them he gave the right. Now, you can underline it, you can highlight it, you can put this in a bracket. He gave the right. This is what covenant looked like. But I will say this to you very clearly. It is God who makes covenant with you. It's not you making covenant with God. It's the God who initiates the relationship. You can try to somehow have this covenant relationship with God alone, but it's just not possible because it's God who initiates. The scripture tells us it's God who draws us to him. It's God who does it. But he said he gave the right to become children of God. I don't know about you. God has made covenant through Jesus Christ. Now we get to be a children of God. Now that's the good news. We should be all excited about it. That right that was given to only to Israelites, because of Jesus, you and I get to know God, get to have a relationship with God, and encounter God just like Moses did. But we get to see him. We get to enjoy his presence. We get to enjoy his glory, encounter his glory. And if you have ever experienced the glory of God, there's nothing you can do but worship. You know, 20 years ago, I came to Houston, Texas as a young man, 23 years old, had the whole world in my hand. I was pursuing a dream of mine, and I actually had it. But through different situations and circumstances, in a sense, that was taken away, too. A lot of good things happened in those 20 years since I came to Houston. A lot of good things. Met my wife here. Graduate from finest Southern University, University of Houston. 
God has granted opportunity for me that I still think about how I have that. I get to go to Israel all throughout the year. That's a pretty good gig. It all came because of God. And so that I'll tell you this morning, out of 20 years, all the things that happened, I say the greatest moment is when I encounter this grace. And I can still remember like it was yesterday, April 15, 2001, God invaded my life. He showed up. Oh, man, and I tell you, he showed up. It was not an intellectual exercise, nor it was some fascination, but it was God invading my soul and so vividly. The cross where Jesus died, it is I who put him on the cross. I was just fascinated for the fact that God of heaven, the creator of the universe, would die for a sinner, wicked sinner like me. That hated God, that mocked God. But that grace. Have you experienced that grace? Have you tasted that grace? And if you're a believer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is no explanation, but you know. You know that God has come, and all you can do is worship. See, when God revealed Himself, to Moses, after all the great description of how merciful it is, how long-suffering it is, you know how it ends? Moses bowing down to the ground, posturing himself in worship because he understood healing in And for 20 years, I'm still amazed in this grace. God still amazes me this amazing grace. I'll say this to you to end. Behind amazing grace, there is an amazing God that longs to have a relationship with you. See, I don't have to question if God loves me or not. All I have to do is look at the cross my Savior died, and I know He loves me, and He loves you. Let us pray.